this podcast, Besa Bata from Mercy First talks about compliance and privacy in health informatics. So, stay tuned. So, welcome everyone to Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us Bisa Bata. Um she is a chief data officer and chief compliance officer uh, for Mercy First, a social service organization providing health and mental health services to children and adolescents in New York City. She oversees the research, evaluation, analytics, and compliance for health, REACH, that's a very clever name, for division, um, including data governance and security measures, analytics, risk mitigation, and policy uh, initiatives. She's also an adjunct assistant professor at NYU and previously worked as a research director at USAID project in Afghanistan and as a senior director of research and evaluation at the Center of Evidence-Based Implementation and Research, SEBIR. She holds a PhD in implementation science with a focus on health services and MPH in global health and an MSW. Her research uh, has focused on health systems, mental health, integration of technology to improve population level outcomes. With that, uh, Bisa, thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm actually Be- Beautiful. So why don't we um, go over your journey? I think it's fascinating um, if you can if you can walk our listeners and viewers through your background and what bring you here and, and pretty much like your past life. That would be amazing. Past life is always interesting to sort of look <laughs> at, you know, experiences. Um, how did I get here? And why, you know, technology? Actually, I started out as an engineering student um, in undergraduate electrical engineering. And then through three years of engineering school, I decided, you know, electrical engineering back then, many, many years ago, um, wasn't all that interesting. I don't think it was that interesting. So I decided, you know what, I am going to go more into life and health sciences. But, you know, my journey kind of went around in a circle. I'm kind of back with, you know, data and analytics and the other components. After I switched out, I decided to get a degree in biology and anthropology. And then sooner or later, kind of, you know, my path, my career path moved more into social services and health services. Um, So my next degree in line, I decided to, you know, learn more about human interaction. Actually, a lot of those skills are very useful now. Uh, I ended up getting a master's degree in social work from NYU. And then, you know, after I had my master's degree in social work, I decided, you know what, there has to be more. so right after I decided to get a degree in public health. So I've been, you know, school for many, many years. After I got that degree, then, you know, with any new graduate student out there, I said, okay, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, in that part, during that phase of my life, I wasn't sure if I was going to go directly into providing direct services or more into sort of the healthcare analytics component. It just happened that I just got pulled into um, the healthcare analytics component, and that kind of you know changed my career tra- trajectory where where I am now. Um, after that, I worked you know primarily as a data analyst for many years, and it was a really good experience. So um, the skills that I actually gained in my master's in public health, epidemiology, population level science, I could actually see the outcomes based on initiatives that were being implemented. So it's actually kind of seeing the fruits of decision-making based on the data or the reports that are being provided. 
which is kind of interesting to see that kind of impact. Um, later on, I, you know, um, after I did, you know, social services for a little bit, I decided to do international work. But I've done international work throughout my career, sort of having that as a background. Um, I work in a community-based education project in Afghanistan for, you know, uh, several months. But prior to that, several years, I worked in Africa looking at health services primary, primarily and trying to figure out, you know, how can we improve services to population and mass? And, and the best way to do that actually is through technology and technological innovation. That wasn't... You know, the case 10, 15 years ago that a lot of, you know, mobile devices weren't really available um, in the market the way they are now. So we see a huge proliferation as far as M health or mobile health, um, where 10 or 15 years ago, you know, we weren't having these types of conversations. Mm -hmm. So it's actually in a really interesting era to be part of. And in my current role, um, my goal is actually now I'm in sort of the heart in need of utilizing everything that I've, you know, um, studied, um, especially implementation science and understanding health systems and health systems approaches that, you know, technology is integral as well as information and flow of information is really integral to outcomes and population level outcomes. Um, I think everybody knows about the Affordable Care Act and a lot of, you know, what's been out in the news as far as, you know, why are we spending all of this money? Um, but we're not getting the same types of outcomes. And I think a lot of that has to do with ensuring that the care coordination is done in a way where is it, we're able to see those, you know, chains. And I think one way to do that is, you know, infusing um, technology into the health sector in a very different way. So, you know, if you're interested in health or health technology, I think this is a really exciting field, especially now for a lot of, you know, people coming into the, this new arena. Interesting. And and uh, thank you so much for walking us through through your journey. Pretty fascinating and pretty um, diverse and, 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 and glad to have you on the podcast. So let's talk about your current role. Like what is uh, Chief Data Officer and Chief Compliance Officer means for a company like Mercy First? What is Mercy First and then what's your role in it? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. Fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So Mercy First is a social service agency. Um, we provide health, mental health care, uh, foster care, preventive services, a refugee resettlement program. So it's a melee of lots of different programs, but primarily focused on children and adolescents. Um, the key component is obviously is health and well-being um, for the most vulnerable populations especially in New York City, that's where the, um, the organization actually functions um, and provides services. Um, and it's, you know, it's really interesting to sort of think of the journey out there for a lot of the organizations that you see a blending for different programs and different services in a very different way and sort of the integration of the healthcare component. I think Mercy First is kind of in that journey that, you know, how do you integrate all of these services in a way to improve outcomes, health and well-being for the children and families that we serve? Interesting. And, and and tell me, what does a chief compliance officer uh, mean for that company? Or what does a chief data officer mean for that company? Or for the agency? So initially, that's a very good question. I think initially when I came in, my uh, role was a VP of quality improvement. And um, I kind of, along with chief compliance officer on the side, serving as a chief compliance officer, um, especially in the current field, I think 
you know, when you think of quality improvement or improvement initiatives, doesn't really capture everything that goes on. And I think the new roles are coming into place, um, chief data officer, analytics officer, um, as, as well as compliance officers, I think kind of capture more the current state of, you know, where organizations are. As far as my role uh, for a chief data officer, is it's primarily a data steward, ensuring that there's uh, structures in place um, to capture the vital information that are required for the programs and have that information to be usable, usable in a way that informs decision making. The other component um, of this role, obviously, is compliance. Um, and that's a really important component. I think I'm not sure how uh, familiar people are with um, HIPAA or uh, um or high tech standards, health information technology, economic and clinical health um, laws, along with um, protected health information. I think with cybersecurity and some of the other gaps uh, recently in the news, it's really important to sort of think about, you know, information, the flow of information, as well as the security of information. So in my other role is ensuring that um, there's procedures, um, policies, and and other things in place that the information that is shared is protected and only the right people get the right information to ensure that there is, you know, proper care coordination across the spectrum. Interesting. And I think, um, and by the way, thank you so much for walking us through that. And, and, and one of the things that I find, found fascinating when I was looking at your profile uh, was that um, we never, like, we really got a chance to talk to someone who's actually uh, has some visibility on the on the compliance uh, on on the side of health informatics, and we know we have all heard about HIPAA. We all know that um, it, it's um, it's it's critical uh, for health data. But I think why don't you walk us through uh, the world of compliance and privacy in health informatics? Like, what does it really mean, and what's going on? If you can give us some of that perspective, that pretty much help us understand um, the importance and the role and the current state of um, compliance and 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 sort of uh, privacy in health informatics. I think, um, especially now, it's definitely in the news uh, with the new EU regulations that actually just got implemented May 25th, I think, they're they um, rolled out and implemented across the board. So the general data protection regulation um, under the EU countries actually provides a lot of guidelines regarding what information can be shared um, and what information can be shared to second and third parties without um, the individual who actually provided that information. So it's creating lots of, you know, buzz uh, globally, actually, as far as what does this mean? And I know that a lot of people are getting the email messages, especially from organizations that do business within the European Union regarding opting in or opting out of having their information shared. Um, it's definitely a field that's going to grow even further. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see how those regulations affect business practices as well as ensuring that the right information, especially for information technology, gets shared without barriers. So I think one of the really important components with compliance is that you have to love regulations. There's plenty of regulations across the board. It is, you know, the way that um, this, the system is set up, but it's a good setup because in a way it puts checks and balances as far as what needs to happen. So Sometimes there's a lot more regulations than, you know, necessary, which actually inhibits, um, you know, 
decision-making in a very different way or delays decision-making. There's always pros and cons regarding both. Um, in my role is ensuring that whatever protected health information or um, any information that includes um, health or mental health data is secure and any sort of exchange of that health information to a second or third party is notified in a way where uh, the individual that provides that health information has given consent to share that information for the provision of health. Um, so we're pretty good with monitoring that along with you know, our partners, obviously Department of Health and other oversight bodies have their own regulations to ensure that protection of health information is managed in a very different way. So, um, including uh, adding components for what common clinical data sets are shared across different organizations or even within the organization what security and safety measures are put in place so then there is no security breaches. I think the most um, common sort of security breaches are usually internal within the organization mm -hmm. where somebody has a laptop with client or patient information ends up you know forgetting it or losing it and then you know opens up a can of worms as far as you know client information that's within that laptop. So, you know, as we're learning, as we're going, I think we're becoming much more sensitive to um, understanding some of the gaps that need to get filled and what, you know, approaches need to be implemented to ensure, you know, that there's no, uh, there is no attacks from outside, which actually we get mm. all the time as well as you know, the human fallibility and the human factor ensuring that there are safety and security measures. So for example, um, one of the very common ways that you know, our therapists or clinicians or uh, medical providers, physicians actually share information is via email. So email is the least secure, least protected approach mm. to share any sort of PHI. Um, so we put measures in place um, and the next component will be to train our staff that any sort of identifying information, and it's a lot, it's a lot of information as far as what could be an ident identifier. Obviously social security numbers, dates of birth, mm. but even zip codes can be identifiers under um, HIPAA guidelines. Um, and ensuring that everyone has that you know, map as far as and a checklist, you know, this is what's, uh, what falls under PHI and these are the standards, mm. and these are the regulations but actually building in more automatic approaches where um, if an email gets sent out, then there's identification and a flag directly from the system that this email contains protected health information and just um, locking that email and sending it securely through the portal to the other side. Obviously, when it reaches the other side, there's another issue that hopefully the partners on the other end are doing the exact same thing, securing the information, the patient information that we share. Interesting. And, and so from your vantage point, the current sort of um, regulatory infrastructure that's, that's provided to secure data, do okay. you think, um, is it sufficient or do you think that there are some sort of opportunities for, uh, for like we need more regulations there or like what's your thoughts on, um, on, on the compliance side of things that are we, is it enough or, or do we need more? I think the regulations there there are fine and they're pretty you know comprehensive regulation from uh, regulations from Department of Health and Human Services that mm. oversees you know overall healthcare within you know the U.S. sector. Um, it's not the regulation; is actual the implementation, the resources on the ground. I think that's where you see the divide um, that a lot of the organization, especially smaller organizations, do not have first the manpower. Um, also the IT data expertise to implement a lot of these initiatives. And the second component, they don't have the resources 
to implement a lot of these initiatives. So it's not on the regulation side. I think it's more on the implementation side that obviously resources are key to ensure that, you know, anything is done is done appropriately. And then you have the right, you know, individuals serving in those positions to ensure that they're managing and overseeing compliance related issues. So I think the implementation is where there's a huge, huge gap um, and resources, obviously, that's another huge gap. Interesting. And and um, so I think your previous background is in, in sort of these social projects, right? Where sort of yeah. data, uh, data sharing is important. And right now you're working in a very regulated industry. Like what are some of the things that, that are parallel between the two that or, or what are some of the things that are stark difference when it comes to sort of data and how it is managed and how it is sort of uh, uh, like analyzed? Like what are, what's your thoughts on that? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So there's a couple of projects that I'm currently involved in. One is actually looking at, you know, mapping out the data within this enterprise. Mm. Um, what information gets collected? Because every enterprise collects lots and lots of information. I think, you know, um, in the early 90s and early 2000s, uh, we were hearing about data la- uh, lakes, you know, big data, 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 data. Um, so yes, there is more information, but is it, critical information. I think we're collecting a lot of information, but a lot of that information is not useful or cannot be used in the right way to inform decision-making. So I think the most important component for any sort of enterprise, either it be healthcare or IT, social services, any sort of enterprise, is understanding what information they are collecting, how they're collecting that information, and ensuring that the information is hygienic. What I mean by that is that it's clean enough that when you analyze it upstream, it doesn't require additional cleaning um, you know, more data scientists to do additional work to get the data inside. The whole point of that is that you have all this information. You either want to monetize it or create, you know, utilize the data for decision making. Um, so that's really important sort of understanding, you know, what information flows through the enterprise and then ensuring that the right information flows in the right ways. Um, mm-hmm. So including process mapping, um, every organization could benefit from that sort of understanding you know, what are we capturing? Are we capturing, um, for example, if you are um, a retailer, capturing, you know, how many items are bought? Um, it might be important to capture when they're bought. So then that way you could sort of stratify to see, you know, what resources you need to target based on time, um, a temporal component. All of those things need to be factored in when, you know, you're looking at, you know, the entire enterprise and the entire information infrastructure. I think that's really important for a lot of organizations. Once you have sort of a lay of the land, um, I like to call a map, um, then the next, you know, sort of the next step would be, you know, how can we automate and ensure that, you know, processes are put in place, the data is pretty clean and, you know, fed into a database. Um, almost all of the organizations have some sort of um, database or an electronic health record, especially in my world. Almost everybody has a health mm. electronic health record. Mm. But what I see from a lot of the electronic health records is there's a lot of data there, but it's not utilized. Mm. Um, and I think one of the really interesting things that I, I see in the horizon now, especially for my colleagues at the university, is that you know utilizing uh, machine learning or AI platforms, different types of algorithms to sort of see patterns. But 
usually my, you know, statistics and background, mm -hmm. I mean, my training and analytics, I'm kind of wary of, you know, seeing patterns when, you know, just seeing patterns if we mm. really didn't, you know, structure the data in a way where you're collecting the right information. So if you have a lot of the information, you're seeing patterns, sometimes those patterns are useful, but sometimes you could just be a mirage that you could be seeing a pattern that's really not relevant. So I think that's always important to sort of think about, you know, are we seeing the right things? Are we structuring our algorithms or our queries in the right way to answer the right question? I think you know, for me, being trained as a scientist, it's really important to sort of have the question first and then build the analytic strategy later to sort of get to the question that you're answering, not vice versa, where you're, you know, you know, have an answer or have um, insight and then sort of, you know, asking questions. Sometimes that could work, but I'm always wary based on my training that it could lead you in a very different way. Um, the last component here is that once you have that infrastructure, electronic health record, is building in BI or business intelligence or analytics mm -hmm make that data user friendly and what i mean by user friendly is that yes i have individuals here you know who are able to analyze the data but sometimes it's not just the analysis i think it's a translation of data that's what's missing mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and a lot of the individuals that i see even within a health sector or the health it sector or even the it sector are not able to translate the data um, so they understand the information they could run the analytics but the most important component is taking this information and then you know, feeding it back to the business processes for the decision-making approach, what I think is that's where it's lacking. Um, another thing that we're tackling is sort of understanding, you know, the interoperability between systems mm. and how can we, you know, unify different systems in a way where we have um, better decision-making um, and ensure that the client has... Um, you know, come, if they come to us for care, that their information is able to get transported to another organization or they can refer to another healthcare organization, that there's that continuum of care. Um, mm. I was in the emergency room this morning and each time I go and I'm like, I've been here, you know, they're using Epic, which is a different electronic health system um, mm. from where I was prior. And I sometimes I wish that some of the insurance information would just be captured from one system to the other rather than, Every single mm. time a patient comes in, they have to enter this information continuously. So I think, you know, there's a lot more work to be done, but I think it's a really interesting time to sort of think about, you know, health information exchanges or data exchanges in a different way. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll need to build these systems because we really don't have a ginormous healthcare data mm. warehouse. I think that'll be fantastic, but I don't think that's going to happen any day soon. Interesting. I think that's the, by the way, uh, again, thank you so much for walking us through that. Because one of the things that, that we find from our interaction with folks from uh, health health informatics side, so on one side, data and, and analytics could do a lot more, right? It, uh -huh. it, they're, they're, because every, I think the beautiful thing about data in, in health informatics is there are real people and real life behind behind every statistics that you're looking at. And really, any analysis you could do actually could, could create a, a massive impact. On the other side, there's a there's a, always a struggle on this compliance, on yeah. whether you call it HIPAA and what, right? And then one of the things that we see a constant sort of outcry on on uh, in in the scenario was, hey, you know what? Uh, the regulation is pretty tight, and then yeah. the software or this this infrastructure that we are using, it's very sticky. So when you have those two things working together, it's very hard to innovate. And and and, and I think and and since the beautiful thing is you have that vintage point where you actually could make an impact because you are the you are the chief data um, you understand the data uh, and its landscape 
but regulations hold you back like what's your thought on what's your thought on that uh, what's your perspective it's you know it's unfortunate that you know a lot of the regulations do hold us back uh in in lots of different ways as far as um incorporating different types of approaches analytic approaches or linking i understand the compliance that you know there has to be security around data so information cannot flow freely the way you know i would like mm. to prof- flow freely or uh, follow the patient. Obviously, there are bioethics-related issues. Mm. Um, as far as accessing information and using that information for you know, population-level outcomes, um, it becomes really sensitive because then um, you, know, you could identify a group of individuals that have higher needs. Um, and those group of individuals, because they are higher needs, require more services, can be targeted in a very good way to improve those outcomes. However, on the other side, you have the insurance sector. There's a monetization mm. sector. Mm. So in that way, they're seen as higher risk. Therefore, um, you know, once you identify that client population, then, um, you know, some services or even um, insurance services might restrict as far as, you know, what can cover and what cannot cover and what, you know, um, what populations can be, you know, brought onto the floor as far as their overall healthcare plan versus um, specific extraditional coverages because of, you know, their need. Um, with, in my sort of, you know, perspective, I think um, the regulations sometimes hamper, um, mm. especially my work as an analyst and a scientist mm. that, I cannot combine different data set because of different regulations or the regulations are such that that takes a lot of time. I think the temporal component is a really key component that in order to get somewhere that instead of taking, you know, two or three months, it takes many, many more months than initially Mm. planned. So any plans that I have now, I think I'm just going to add another six months to that because I think, you know, it just Mm. takes much more than initially planned um, to get anything done. But as far as integration of those data sets, um, because of those regulations, there are certain things that I cannot integrate and other things that I can, um, which m- limits my ability to sort of use this information in a very different way to inform mm. decision making. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast interesting and 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 so the the thing that um that that we are seeing that um so if i'm a business right and oh. say if if i'm a if i'm a um, healthcare provider and i want to understand or i want to hire a, a say a chief data officer or like what should i look for like how should i how should i start with this journey because i'm sitting on a lot of interesting data and I, that actually could really make an impact for my bottom line, even for the patient that I'm dealing with. What are the, some of the things that you could recommend before I get to this sort of mythical, magical unicorn called chief data scientist or chief data officer? What would you suggest? It's funny because another colleague of mine said, oh, you have like those, you know, trifecta of skills that, you know, obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the background in health, understanding people, social services, and obviously my undergraduate um, was yeah. in engineering. So having that, Obviously, having somebody that understands the enterprise or understands the business, mm. I think it's that uh, if you do a hire chief data officer or chief analytics officer, that they really have to have that skills and expertise before you bring that on board. 
hard. Um, not just an MBA, but I think it's important to have those soft skills to be able to translate the data for the business enterprise. But really understanding the analytics, the data infrastructure, and the IT component, I think that trifecta is very difficult to find. But if you could find somebody like that where each of those components, I think, are are key and integral to ensure you're bringing those data initiatives to floor. And, you know, it's an interesting sort of position because in a way um, it's on top of the infrastructure, but, Hmm. you know, it's between the decision-making and the infrastructure, which means that, you know, I'm stuck with a big bag of lots of stuff. You know, um, I always think of um, like a big knotted, you know, yarn ball and trying to untie that and cut it and organize it and make sense of it. So I think the most important thing is to look some, for somebody who has proven themselves in the field, understands the field that, you know, they're coming in. Um, if it's um, a healthcare field that they have understanding of, you know, health regulations, I think that definitely helps with ensuring that they're on the right path where the learning curve will be much um, shorter than, you know, if you bring somebody who doesn't have those skills and expertise and having analytics experience and as well mm-hmm. as understanding data in a different way, in a holistic way. Um, and on top of that, having leadership skills, I think that's another important component that without having, you know, the ability to um, translate this information, engage other stakeholders, um, it's really difficult to do this job. It's almost impossible, actually, because you really need people from different parts of the organization at all levels to participate. And if you don't have that participation, a lot of the projects fail. I have one project where I'm trying to implement an electronic uh, way to administer medication. And I just mm. see some of the challenges. It's been almost, uh, you know, eight months um, and we're still you know in the process of just getting it implemented and I think some of the challenges are um, the training and the mm. different expertise across the enterprise that might you know a lot of the people that come into healthcare or um, are are coming in here because of clinical skills because they want to work with patients they're not coming in here because they want to enter everything into an mm. electronic health record but um, a lot of the healthcare now requires tracking at all levels each time you enter a hospital um, you know they'll require data data entry. So you see your physician, you know, in front of a screen, just entering information rather than looking at you. Um, That's very unfortunate, but that's, you know, based on some of these regulations, I think patient care gets affected. Um, Mm. But it is what it is. And that's interesting. Hoping that, you know, with sort of more automation that we could give Mm. more time to our physicians. Interesting. And so, um, Another interesting perspective I, I want your thought on is, so if I say I'm an executive, I'm going into the this healthcare space, what are some of the things I should look for when I, I should pick out um, that if this setup is good for me or not? Like what are some of the, some of the things that even you considered when you, when, you, when you sort of thought about joining Mercy First and how, what are some of the things that you evaluate um, these companies on? Um, there's a couple of things. I think well, before I was going to come here, I was going to take an academic position. Um, mm. And then, you know, to the chagrin of my colleagues at this university, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I think I'm going to stick to, <laughs> you know, not teaching full time. <laughs> um, I like the, uh, for me, I think, I like the part of teaching, but I also like the mm. part of doing. So for me, it's a combination between both. And I think when I was making that decision, um, should I just stick to academia alone where I'm just an ivory tower? Um, you know, writing policy briefs and lots of papers, sort of, you know, ensuring that um, 
you know, health services move this way or that way versus actually being with an organization on the ground and seeing some of the challenges. And I like that a little bit better, I think. Actually, I like that a lot, much better, if that's mm -hmm. why I'm here, that it gives me an opportunity to actually learn as I'm doing and, you know, inform research, inform policy by actually seeing what's happening on the ground. And I think if I was just in the academic universe, I wouldn't have that perspective or I would have mm. a very different perspective from just talking to people and, you know, having them tell me, you know, what are your challenges? Because in that way, I'm only seeing a sliver. It's almost looking at, you know, a keyhole through a door and trying to, you know, assess what the room looks like rather than being in the room and you're like, hmm, it looks very different from what I thought it's going to look like. Um, so having that overall perspective, I think it gives me a better approach to even develop policies um, and put out policies that are more user-friendly and more utilitarian, I think, rather than just, you know, uh, not having this perspective. I think that's really important to have a you know, larger overview. Interesting. And say if, if, um, if I'm a startup, and then I'm venturing into this world of health, health, in health informatics. What are some of the challenges challenges that you would suggest that I should be ready to prepare to fight for? Or what are some of the things that you think I should be prepared for? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of challenges in sort of the healthcare sector. Actually, it's one of the biggest sectors in the U.S. If you hmm. look at you know any other sector, healthcare sector is one of the, the biggest. Um, it's kind of shocking if you think of like the health uh, sector, pharma, um, you know, that falls within the health sector as well. Mm. Um, pharmaceutical companies, if we're thinking of health information technology, if we're thinking of just social services, hospitals, um, insurance companies, managed care organizations, it's a huge, huge sector. So it really depends on what niche of that sector um, somebody, mm. you know, want to observe or disrupt or upstart, but I think the most important thing is sort of having an assessment, you know, what niche will you fill, what niche, mm. um, number one, having a good understanding of that niche. And then second would be to understand, you know, where the policies, U.S. policies are actually, you know, currently, because that's going to give you um, lay of the land as far as what the regulations will look like in five to 10 years, as well as mm. what the funding and the capacity Will look like and obviously funding is really key if you're going to get funding from angel investors or if you're going to get funding from grants or you know whatever it is i think it's understanding you know what niche are you filling in within the healthcare sector um and based on that once you have a good understanding what niche you're filling in then you know ensuring that you have the right links within that niche to understand just like i said you know, if I was in academia versus if I'm here, understanding what are the enterprise pain points. Once you understand that, then you're able to create plans and services that are able to target that. If you could, if you could build a better mousetrap, like they say, then, you know, same thing with Uber. They're able to mm. rethink the way we think of getting from point A to point B. Before, I mean, God, before Uber or VR or any of these services, I would have to sit there, either take public transportation or I would have to wait for a taxi that would never show up. Um, mm. So it's a, you know, more user-friendly approach. It's a different integration between um, the individual that's seeking that service. And I think that's the same thing that gets translated into the healthcare because now we have um, individuals that are you know more educated number one number two understand healthcare or their own health 
in a very different way, you see a huge proliferation of Fitbit or just, you know, integration of different types of, um, you know, mHealth, mobile health technologies that individuals are utilizing this on their own. And then even if you look at a Wikipedia or, or even, you know, a lot of the health sections of Wikipedia, um, a lot of the consumers are much more educated. So if you're targeting mm. a service, if you're targeting any sort of product, that it has to be with the consumer, the end user in mind, that in a way you're improving their health and without the actual time components. So if you could reduce the time with improving health, uh, and pr providing the right information at the right time, I think that's also another critical component. I think that's where, um, you know, there's more room for development. And I'm sure that in the next few years, you'll see more, you know, proliferation of, you know, niche companies that would fill that, you know, health information technology, where they, you know, reduce the gap between end user and service. Um, I think that's where the future is going as far as health IT. Interesting. And so um, if, 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 we, if we see, if, if we look at say, your vantage point as a chief data officer and chief compliance officer, and if we sort of match it with other folks or other uh, folks at leadership level that you have interacted with. What are some of the common sort of traits or some of the common challenges that you have seen that current leaders, uh, current data leaders are facing um, in, in health space, if you, can, if you can walk us through some of those challenges? So we, there is a group that we get together, um, sort of like the data, health information technology. And it's really, I mean, one of the key things that we run across is um, people do not understand. It's sort of like this foreign land or this foreign language that a lot, when you say information, technology, um, I think there's like an allergic reaction to that. <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> it's really interesting there is. And a lot of the leaders, you know, especially at a higher level, are not really trained to sort of look at information. It's mm. something that's really key and integral for decision making. Or it's part and parcel of the process rather than sort of, you know, highlighting a you know, spotlight on and saying, this is important and ensuring that this information is clean and timely and to the point is really important. So I think those things are kind of coming to the fore now that previously they, you know, weren't thought of in that way. Um, and that's really important. But another challenge that I have across, um, you know, social service or healthcare, even, you know, within those organizations is educating, you know, why this is important. Um, why is having this information important? And why is the security of this information important? So there's a lot of, um, you know, teaching that has to happen, sort of getting people to understand First, why information is important for decision making, for just process level, even for, you know, getting reimbursed, getting your paycheck, mm -hmm. that everything is kind of like a chain reaction. Um, and they're all tied together and sort of understanding that um, is a challenge for a lot of us, especially in this field. Interesting. And, and what are some of the things that you are presently surprised with that, hey, somehow people get it? Like what, what some of that did say, I'm not, I don't expect you to get this, but now, wow. That a, well, the millennials get it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a given. I think they're kind of, I mean, I, I see the younger generation um, have an easier time to adapt to different technologies fairly quickly and sort of incorporate a lot of those technologies fairly quickly. Um, I was implementing an initiative here where, you know, we would utilize more go-to-meeting instead of traveling. I'm like, well, let's, you know. Or, you know, have individuals utilize, you know, the full suite, start understanding um, all of the Microsoft Office products or whatever analytics products are provided out there. 
Mm. Um, and I saw that the younger, or sometimes it's also enthusiasm, that once it's explained, once you know you kind of show them the you know steps or guide them, then I think it's easier for them to adapt. And a lot of that I think has to do with fear. Even for me, you know, mm. entering this field in the beginning. I remember I was, uh, having a conversation with a colleague yesterday um, that all the analytics software in the beginning looked, you know, pretty daunting to me. I'm like, I don't understand coding. What is all of this? Um, and I had a lovely advisor that would not give up. It's like, no, go back, go back, go back until I actually learned. And I'm like, oh, Eureka, I get it. But it took a lot of time to get there. Mm. Uh, and I'm also, you know, realistic that not everyone will get that as long as they get the gist of what we're trying to do um, and how they're integral in that. And I think that's the most important components interesting and 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 how do you see the leadership taking it so i think i i remember um, conversing with one of the executive a couple of weeks back and, and and we were talking about how a couple of decades back uh cio was a remote phenomena right so yeah. information which is getting hang of it and they say no no just sit back at the remotest possible place don't i don't want to see your face just keep yeah. keep the wires on <laughs> And suddenly the the entire business became sort of very IT uh, centric yeah. around IT and IT became the spine uh, empowering every business. And now we, we know where the CIOs are today. The same yeah. thing is happening to the to the data and analytics side of things now because they are yeah. perceived, okay, the remote one-off cases. What has been your experience? Like what's, uh, do, you, do you see the same thing or what's, what, what's your vantage point? I do see the same thing. It's kind of interesting. It's sort of like I'm the... <laughs> in a lot of ways. I'm very vocal, so you can't ignore me that quickly. Um, yeah. And I usually have a pretty good agenda as far as, you know, what plans I have and where I want to head. Um, sometimes there are a lot of, you know, hurdles to get to that point, but I'm, you know, pretty persistent that way. But it is like that. And I, even in my prior experience, sort of, you see the mm. analysts, you know, they're out there, you know, the mm. ones that actually look at numbers and they're pretty picky at, you know, decimal points and all of that. Um you know, it's kind of compartmentalized. I think, you know, have a good mm. relation with our uh, chief technology officer as well. So we are kind of, you know, on, I, sometimes I say on a boat by ourselves. <laughs> I'm not sure where we're rowing. Um, and sort of explaining why this area is important and it's be becoming mm. much more important. I think it's becoming, you know, much more of a challenge. It requires much more um, interaction with other sectors, either fiscal or um, other components of their organization that you know now it's becoming much more integral than in the past i think with everything being tracked everything being tracked in such a systematic way that you really cannot get away from this um and that's you know even for uber or even for you know healthcare or any other um enterprise i think um now they're understanding why these roles are important you need to have mm -hmm. the infrastructure obviously because Everybody has to have that infrastructure. Everyone has mm. a smartphone. Everyone has a laptop. Everyone has a computer, or the majority of people do. Um, a lot of the businesses cannot function without systems in place. And then the information is sort of like another component that's really key, and it's coming to the fore. Um, and as time goes on, I think once we have good approaches in place to ensure data integrity, um, you know, have really good data stewards, I think the next component would be um, the insight from that information. Um, so that's, I think, where the analytics, the research uh, would come in um, as additional or adjunctive components. But I do feel sometimes that it's, you know, really difficult to sort of translate this. And I think those are really important skills to have is 
to be able to translate a lot of this, you know, um, acronyms. We love acronyms in, you know, IT or data or even statistics, lots of acronyms. Um, and sort of taking away that mystique and making it very user friendly on the end user, I think, you know, increases the adoption rate. Um, so then you don't have the laggers, you have the earlier adopters, as Rogers, you know, um, sort of adoption theory says that, you know, you need to have enough, you know, sort of mass to sort of adopt these new approaches, and then others will follow once they see that, hey, you know, this pilot is working, this is working. And I think that's where it's really key to have pilots or projects that see the light of day and actually improve um, service, and um, which means that that a lot more things are automated and frees up additional time to do additional tasks where our, you know, our physicians or our clinicians would be mm. to spend more time to interact with clients. Interesting. And, and from your vantage point, so what is the fabric of a good data scientist or good data sort of data engineer? Like what, how do you, what, who do you define as, 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 as an ideal data science leader in, 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 health, in health space? This is a really interesting question, actually. Um, I mean, I see a lot of the blending, especially now. Mm. I have, my brother is a computer scientist. So, you know, 10 years ago, our paths were very different. I was in this, you know, health um, sort of analytics universe, and he mm. was in a computer science universe. And now our paths are kind of merging. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're talking the same language. It's kind of scary. <laughs> I understand you. You understand me. Oh, my God. <laughs> um so I think it's kind of merging, um, hmm. and a lot of that has to do with a lot of um, sort of um, the algorithms, the AI um, technology that's coming to the fore. But I think you need somebody who really understand, has those critical skills or critical thinking skills. I think those are really key. Um, and having a background and, you know, obviously I'm kind of biased because my background is a statistic mm. analytics. Um, I think that's important. If you ask my brother, he'll tell you computer science <laughs> or coding. Um, but a lot of the software that I use now, even for statistics requires coding like R or Python. Mm. So, um, and we're kind of using similar things. I mean, I'm not going to mention, mention Fortran. That's like way back. What <laughs> I just said. Um, but in a way, it's merging. I think a lot of, uh, you know, platforms are there emerging. A lot of things are um, merging in a way um, with the analytics, with laying the foundation um, for getting information. Even the infrastructure, the way you manage information is changing. Um, things, you know, a lot of the data now is moving into the cloud. They're not on-prem, they're off-site. Um, access is very different. So, mm. you know, all of these things are, you know, I, I feel it's like a water flow that in a way, um, having somebody who really has critical skills, I think is really key. And understanding, you know, programming along with the analytics, I think is also key. But the most important thing is having people skills. Because without people skills, I think, you know, you're not going to be able to <laughs> take whatever you have and then translate it. Interesting. And um, so, so now let, let's, let's talk about, um, if I want to join this uh, health informatics space, mm -hmm. what should I do? Like, what do you recommend me as a bunch of steps that I should I should follow um, to join, to make myself eligible? So there's different paths. I mean, I went through the traditional academic path um, because I think that's you know the way I you know I decided to go. But uh, like I said, my brother chose a different path. He actually ended up. Um, 
going into tech, you know, right out of high school. Um, and then he went back and got his degrees. Um, but I did the opposite. I went directly into the university path. And then, you know, once I had enough of the technical skills and expertise, then I decided to seek out um, options. So there's different paths of learning, doing versus, you know, learning. Um, they're different. I think, you know, each of them have plus and minuses. He has much more work experience than I do in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it's important to also, you know, look at what others are doing in the field. So even joining, you know, um, different groups online is really important to understand um, what others are doing in this field. Um, looking at different programs, there's a plenty of, um, you know, I always get notices for masters of analytics or undergraduate for analytics. So it's like combination programs now. Even I. So the other day, it's like MBA with information technology and analytics. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, merging of another field. Um, looking at what's out there, what others are doing, getting informational interviews from uh, individuals in the field, sort of understanding their path and understanding, you know, what not to do and what to do. I think that's also important. Um, I would have probably done things differently, you know, in my undergraduate as far as sort of taking a meandering away and coming back to the same spot. But that's my journey as far as how I, you know, I got here. Um, compared to others might have a more of a direct path where they go either to, you know, get a degree in mathematics or get a degree in computer science and then sort of, you know, get additional training depending on, you know, what niche they'll be targeting. But if they're, you know, if they fall within the healthcare arena, I think it's important for them to understand, you know, the arena itself as well. So having, um, I think my master's in public health was really useful, understanding biostatistics, understanding sort of that part of it is really important. Um, so it really depends on, you know, future um, data scientists that will be out there that what is it that they want to do. And mm. the positive thing is that the I mean, the, it's so broad. Now you have, you know, you could be in any field and actually bring those mm. skills because like I said, you know, every field now is kind of merging. Interesting. And and if, if, if you spend a few minutes on um, the fabric of your favorite hire, like so if in your past, someone you had really hired, what, like, what are the ingredients of someone you say, hey, pretty cool? Actually, I just interviewed somebody, um, and I think, you know, what I'm looking for is somebody's pretty quick to pick up on things, um, you know, pretty quick mind. I always, if I'm bringing somebody in, it's not that the, the content I could teach you is mm. having that critical thinking that's really difficult to teach, that I cannot mm. teach you. Um, I could teach you everything else, but having that critical thinking or that mind, you know, that inquisiting mind, um, oriented mind I think somebody who is also eager to learn those are skills that I cannot teach um, I could teach everything else I could teach you how to program I could teach you how to code I could teach you how to analyze data um, but having those components critical thinking um, somebody who is much more outgoing um, you know I like to see that especially in the you know in the staff that I bring in I think my staff are a little bit much more reserved than you know mm. um, the other groups I would say in the in the sector but having critical thinking skills, I think, is primary as far as what I'm looking for when I bring somebody on board. Interesting. And and um, if now let's, I think we're almost at the tail end of the conversation. So let's now uh, spend a few minutes on understanding your background and your journey. So if if we need to say um, like count maybe one to three segments or three sort of ingredients 
that has really helped you stay successful and 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 sane throughout these years what would what would those three things be <laughs> that's important point the sane part <laughs> <laughs> um the sane part is really important self care is important obviously understanding um but for what really has helped my career is having really strong mentors in the field that um having somebody you know that's why it's called a path somebody has walked through that mm. road before um somebody has been through that path before so having somebody to guide you through that journey i think is really really important so seek out mentors seek out other people that understand um they have been there before and they could highlight areas that you know you need to focus on number one or you need to fill gaps in knowledge and they're brutally honest i have you know a few mm. colleagues that are really honest to the point where like well that's uh, you know hair brain idea like what did you even think of that mm. um or provide guidance as far as training um in um right now I'm getting more into AI so mm. you know obviously I don't know what all the trainings are you know where they are or opportunities are so having others invested in that learning and sharing that I'm interested in this area can you help me can I learn from you um so having really good mentors and also understand that you know the field is changing so rapidly it's really mm. important to stay on top of you know what are the current trends and then follow those trends um you know sometimes they lead to nowhere but a lot of times they you know they lead to somewhere so it's important to sort of understand you know where the field is going and like i said having a really strong mentor is absolutely key interesting and and how do you keep yourself updated with whatsapp i think you spoke wonderfully a couple of times that hey this industry is expanding rapidly and technology is evolving pretty quickly how do you keep yourself updated on like what are some of the things that you do that that really help you understand what's going on and how to keep on top of it so i'm um, actually um i'm on like different data science portals that i've joined online and i get you know emails daily as far as you know what's new in the field um you know for health it for data science for ai so based on the different areas i've kind of sort of looked online and there's so many different portals out there or uh, members or groups or organizations that you could join um mm. where they're you know they're in that niche um i have a colleague of mine who's at NYU and her area is sort of looking at you know the data and the bias in the data which i never thought about that before mm. i was at new york academy of medicine attending a training where they were talking about um just the way that we have this data even for biometric data a lot of the data is biased data um and we mm. see a couple of those articles are coming to the fore because the way that they're coded um there's bias in the way we actually collect that information and we don't really acknowledge that a lot of ways um we sort of infuse our biases in each and everything that we do it's not that it's biased it's our perspective gets infused so uh, you know if you aggregate that perspective then you have a one-sided perspective so it's really important to understand mm. you know how that information you know flows one way or another so she's doing some amazing work sort of looking at um you know not only biometric data the bias is in that as far as you know identifying one individual versus another um but also looking at how you know data is gendered how data you um it, the way it's organized is kind of you know it's not as inclusive as as it should be and what steps mm. to be taken to ensure that is as inclusive interesting um and i think one more thing so we almost at the tail end of the conversation so uh, and again uh, bisha thank you so much for being really um, generous with your time yeah, and candidly explaining the the industry so let's talk about your favorite read i think this is something we love to uh, we ask all of our our, our readers and 
if you if you can share with our listeners and viewers um i think i was mentioning this um before but right now i'm reading the art of war by sun tzu he was a chinese general um and sometimes you know sort of reading this old you know books it's kind of interesting to see that you know people really haven't changed a lot of the mm. kernels of truth kind of you know transcend time um there's a couple of things in that book that i think that are very useful one of the important things that he was saying is that information means getting you know facts mm. timely accurate and meaningful and mm. i thought wow that applies currently having <laughs> information that are timely accurate and meaningful are exactly what i'm doing now you know millennia later um another thing that you know uh, in the book that kind of stuck with me where he was saying that is really important to understand the substance so as far as the substance mm. like i had mentioned before understanding the lay of the land as far as what's there um to understand the climate organizational climate because every single organization every single corporation has their own culture and you have to function with that within that culture uh in order to bring about change and change is not easy it ruffles mm. lots of feathers um it's really important to understand you know the status quo and where you know things need to be pushed and also understanding the structural the leadership and then another important component that was added was the information flow um and this was written many many years ago i'm like wow this is definitely applicable today it's a really great read it's you know it's not that long unless you're really, uh, reading you know uh, machiavelli's additional books but <laughs> i would recommend that for any sort of person it's a really good book as far as strategy um you know it's sort of preemptive strikes in a different <laughs> way but you don't think of that you know in sort of health IT space but if you're in any sort of business it's really important to understand you know it's almost like a chess game where you need to be when mm. what sort of resources allocations of those what needs to you know move and how and when and i think it's a really good read interesting i i couldn't agree more i think i i i remember a couple of uh, months back someone was joking that uh, if you if you uh, take the quotes of art of war and replace the author and just you can just say data scientist it will still be applicable you can still believe that it's <laughs> applicable it's actually said by someone who's actually dealing with data so uh, it, it's a war out there so so yeah, yeah, it's, it's very different <laughs> i wouldn't say this is that bad but you know it's sort of you know a new area that's still being developed so understanding yeah. these tactics in any sort of new area or unexplored area or developing area i think is really important it's 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 pretty cool and and with that uh, bisat again thank you so much before we part ways uh love to know um, if i would say one take away that listeners and viewers should take away from this conversation and what would that be so what would be your closing remark that that you that you want to give to our listeners and viewers so i think for the future generation if you're interested in this skill it's definitely a developing field you'll hear a much more about healthcare it's not going away it'll not go away um and you'll hear a lot more regarding sort of the integration between um you know artificial intelligence and health and sort of how that leads to outcomes but i want the readers to be wary of sort of understanding you know some of the pluses and minuses of you know if we're moving into this field what actually does it mean for health and our well-being the more information you put out there means the more information is available so there's always pluses and minuses as a you know a compliance person sort of thinking out you know what's in the public domain as well interesting with that uh again bisa thank you so much uh you're always welcome on the podcast it was an amazing journey and thank you so much for sharing some of the interesting insights and thank you absolutely yeah, yeah, I just, I just, uh. 
I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. Then I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a circle.